Welcome to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real Secretary of Defense when it comes to their community, their families, and their children. And uh, we are just hitting election. Well, we've been in election season for kind of a long time here in Utah, but ballots are being mailed today. We've started election season, voting season, because we have a three-week period of time where people can receive their ballots and uh, fill them out and get them sent back in the mail if they choose to do that. And because there's a lot of options that people aren't aware of, I've invited Gaud Maragani to join me. Gaud is running for the Salt Lake County Clerk Office here in Salt Lake County. And Gaud, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I am glad to be back. (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know, you're all about educating the people and and letting them know about uh, the voting options that are out there. And I thought, what a, there's nobody better than to have the next county clerk telling our constituents what kind of voting options are out there. Because a lot of times people aren't up to speed with some of the changes that the legislature makes and what the policies are. And so, we get ballots mailed to us, but is it an absolute must that you mail you vote with a ballot that's mailed to you, or are there other options? Yeah, no. I, so let me just say first, just so people understand, the state legislature sets the methods of voting that are available to you. And so there are four basic ways that you can vote. The first is in, you can go in person. There are in-person voting locations uh, where you can vote in Salt Lake County. Uh, Another option is that you can take your mail ballot to an in-person voting location and you can give it to the poll workers there. So turn it in in person. A third option is that you can drop it in a drop box. And a fourth option is that you can put it in the mail. So you have four main methods of voting that are available to you. And I think what what we should talk about maybe is like the pros and cons of each of those methods of voting so that voters can make an informed decision about the best method of voting for the, for each person. Okay. That sounds great. So let's go ahead and, and uh, walk us through what the options are and the pro and con. Okay. Uh, well, let's start with your in-person voting. So a benefit of, some of the pros of in-person voting are that you can go, you know, you can go be there in person. I think a lot of people, you get that personal connection. They will check your driver's license or other form of ID. So they'll verify who you are. Then you'll use a machine and you'll fill out your ballot. Um, the benefits of doing it that way are that your ballot will not be adjudicated or duplicated by the clerk's office. So just a little bit of background. If you use a paper ballot, uh, the clerk's office uses software to read that ballot, right, and to count it. And sometimes the software is unable to to read your ballot because you use red pen, you don't fill in a circle, 
uh, for a race that you're supposed to. You fill it in too much. You fill it in too little. There's a bunch of different things that'll make it unreadable. And when that happens, a team of two at the clerk's office will look at your ballot and then they'll try to determine how you intended to vote and they will select what they think is appropriate. Uh, when you vote though in person on the machine, they, there's no reason that they would ever need to adjudicate your ballot. Okay. Another thing is duplication. Sometimes when you mail your ballots in, they get damaged um, and then they cannot be scanned into a machine. Also, if you if you're deployed overseas, for example, I, I'm a veteran, I've been deployed a couple of times. Sometimes what happens is they'll email you a PDF version of your ballot and then you print it out on regular paper and you fill it out and then you mail it in. When they get that, when the clerk's office receives that, they have to transfer that to a normal ballot in order to scan it into their machines, right? So they do that manually. They'll have two people look at your ballots and they will they'll, they'll transfer the information uh, so that they can then properly process your ballot. Again, if you do electronic voting, neither of those things happen. With both of those adjudication and duplication, one of the risks of it is that they can change your vote. And so I think people just need to be aware of that. I'm not saying it happens, but that's a risk. And I don't think we have proper controls in place right now because just as an example, in the 2020 election, the clerk's office did not track the number of ballots that they adjudicated. Um, and they estimated it was between nine and 26,000. So it's not a small number. And um, so, so again, these are things that voters just should be aware of when they're deciding how to vote. Wow, so Goud, there were anywhere between nine and 26,000 ballots just in Salt Lake County that were adjudicated or else there was a problem that kind of kicked out. It's like it kicks out because it can't read the, car, the, the ballot properly. And so then you've got to have two individuals trying to read that voter's mind and make the consensus of this is what we think the voter meant. And then they make the choice. These two, yeah. right? Right, exactly. And sometimes yeah. it's very clear, right? Because it could be that you just overfilled the circle so it's obvious. Other times, though, it's not clear. And I think that's where we kind of have, we need to have better controls in place. Because let me just, maybe let me make, let me give an example that might make sense. In the 2020 election, we had an at-large county council seat determined by less than 1,200 votes. If we, let's say the clerk's office adjudicated more than 3,000 ballots in that race, we may want to go and look to make sure they did it properly because that could have changed the outcome. And because they did not track the number of ballots they adjudicated at all, and they didn't track it per race, we have no way to go back now and check that in an efficient manner. Well, and even you're mentioning a county, a county commission race, you've got ledge races that can be as narrow as 10 votes, sometimes at three votes. And so, yeah, if you've got these ballots, that's, that's definitely an area that we would want to look at. And, and, you know, we want to be aware that um, if you want to make sure that your, your ballot gets counted the way you intended it to, it's voting by a machine really is a way to um, uh, make that happen. That's not, yeah. So that's your, that's your safest form of voting. Now I'll just say this. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are uncomfortable with machines, right? So 
Um, so that's kind of a con of that in-person voting system is that you'll use that machine if you're uncomfortable with it. You know, that's something that I will say that we do have receipts for when you vote on machines here. And they do go and they do a limited audit where they look at some of those receipts and they try to just verify that they counted properly. I did watch that after the primary and it, they seem to be accurate. So, but again, if you're uncomfortable with the machine portion of this, uh, that's a that's a con of the in-person voting. So, Gaud, what I heard on, oh gosh, it was, I think it was NP, no, it wouldn't have been NPR because that's on the radio. PBS. PBS did a documentary back in 2018 where the Democrats were really concerned about voting election fraud. And they had taken a survey and they said that as only like 7% of people that go in and vote on machine will actually check their receipt. Only 7%. And so if you have this large body of people that just go in and vote and maybe they just hit the wrong key one time or whatever. But there have been, um, we've had voters when I was the chair up in Davis County back in 2012, uh, on election day, I was getting a phone call from someone who had voted in Salt Lake County. And when they voted straight Republican, this was back when we had the straight ballot, you could vote straight Republican. It shifted and went Democrat. And I told him, I says, you got to call the Lieutenant Governor's office right away. You got to report it. This needs to, you know, they need to be aware that there's a problem with machines, but never heard any more about it at that point. But I've heard of other people saying the same thing, that when they went to look at their ballot off of the machine, it had shifted to a different candidate. And so that's the other thing is you do want to check your receipt. Okay. You can do that right there. It just prints right alongside so you can see exactly who you voted for. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of it. And you're right, if there's a problem, and like, you know, sometimes people report stuff, you should report it to the poll workers and do that right away so that if they're, because sometimes it could be something simple, right? Maybe the machine malfunctioned, their computers, uh, maybe there's a mistake with the programming that they need to fix. Uh, It could just not be a big deal. But you do want to make sure that they understand if there was a problem with it. So, yeah. Should we, should we talk about the next the next yeah. other methods. Okay. So your another method of voting is you can fill in your mail-in ballot at home. I've talked to thousands of voters across our county. Uh, people overwhelmingly love the mail-in ballots. And a big reason is you can sit at home, you can study the issues, uh, and you can make that informed decision, right? Great method. Now you can go and if you want to kind of, for a chain of custody, a pro of a chain of custody type issue is you can go take that ballot to one of the polling locations and turn it in with the workers. Uh, what that does is now you've kind of, you've reduced the number of people that will touch it, right? And you have, and I think, and there'll be a receptacle in there where you can submit it. They won't check your ID for that because when you use a mail-in ballot, your ID is your signature. And so that will continue with that mail-in ballot, but it might make you feel more comfortable that now you have turned it in and you've used a method where the county clerk can 100% control the chain of custody for getting that ballot to their office. Uh, so I think so, that's a pro, a pro for that one. And you're talking about, obviously, if it's being dropped off directly at the voting location, it is either on election day or during the early voting period, right? Yes, correct. Okay. 
And uh, I'm just going to throw this out. This is me. I, I am a, an election day advocate. And I think that we have um, less chance of anything nefarious or happening if we all just show up and vote on election day. And uh, we used to do it that way. And I'm a big proponent. So I'm, I'm one of those that wait till November 8th. I'll be casting my ballot. And uh, but you can still use your mail-in ballot if you want to and vote on election day. Yeah, that's right. I'll just say that, you know, I tend to go and early vote in person. And that's just because I find it to be convenient. And, uh, you know, as someone running for clerk, I just want to make sure that we get as many people who want to vote to vote. And so, you know, that's a very convenient form for people who may not be able to get there on election day. But I appreciate that, again, you're making your informed decision about how you want to vote. And I think that's great. That's our, so that's the beauty of our system, right? We can all make yeah. these decisions for ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next one is you can submit that mail-in ballot to a ballot Dropbox. And now ballot Dropboxes are a fantastic tool. They're convenient. They cut costs when you compare it to submitting your ballot through the mail. When you put it in the mail, the county is gonna pay for your postage. When you put it in a ballot Dropbox, you've now cut the postage costs. And, you know, uh, Chris, I hear a lot about inflation and how much it is impacting our citizens here. And as, a, as someone running for county clerk, I wanna make sure that we are cutting as many costs as we can and being as efficient as possible. So a pro of using a ballot Dropbox, if you're choosing between that and putting it in the mail, is that you're, you will help cut costs. You will help make sure that your property taxes will not go up because of costs at the county clerk's office. Um, another benefit of that is again, the clerk completely controls the chain of custody for your ballot drop boxes. Now I will say this, I don't think our current clerk's office has chain of custody on those ballot drop boxes. And I have proposed to put in place verifiable chain of custody. So what that means is that we'll have an app. Utah County already has the app because they actually do what I'm talking about. Um, and we'll send out a team of two. I would like to have a Democrat and a Republican because we want bipartisanship. And then we will use the app to track transit time of the ballots and the weight of the ballots when they are picked up with the ballot drop box and dropped off at our office. That is actual chain of custody. And then two weeks after election day, once the canvas is complete, I will voluntarily release all of those chain of custody logs to the people and you can verify what we've done. So once that's in place, I think your ballot drop boxes will be more secure and they'll be an even better tool for people who need that convenience and want to be able to use that instead of using the mail. You know, I just have to say that sometimes it's really nice when we have new people get into these positions. I know the current clerk has been there for more than 30 years and they get, they, I think they can kind of get a little complacent in the operation of things because Utah County has had a new clerk. They had a new clerk during the last two years, and they've got another new clerk this year. And sometimes new people kind of come in with fresh new eyes and, and new um, innovate. They're looking at the system and realizing, gosh, we could make some changes where you have a tendency, this is the way we've always done it, and it's worked so far, we're going to continue <laughs> doing it this way. And they don't always look at new innovative ideas. So I'm glad to hear that you're looking at that, and that will help, uh, I think voters feel a lot um, 
at more at ease if they can see results of that chain of custody on their ballot. Yeah, and and just so voters know, my in, that act, that proposal probably best encapsulates my entire philosophy of how the clerk's office should be run. I think there is a lot more data and information that we could voluntarily release to the public. So that's one example: chain of custody for ballot drop boxes. Another one is I will release to you all. I will release to you our adjudicated ballot logs showing you how many ballots were adjudicated per race. I will release to you your duplicated ballot logs. So you can see how many ballots were duplicated and in which precincts. I want voters to have as much information as possible because I think that will make that'll improve faith in the election system and the results that come out. And it'll also for people running for office, they'll feel like they really do have a fair shot of running for office if they can see the results of adjudicated ballots and anything that were an issue. If their race, if they won by a thousand votes, then and there's only 400 adjudicated ballots, they don't need to worry about it, right? But if it's a close race, they would want to know that information, and that way it makes everyone feel better about our process if they feel like every everything is being handled correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's a great example of a clerk. See, like I'd like to be a more responsive clerk to the to the people, to the candidates. And I think the current management that we have in place, and I'll give you an example in Georgia, they had a primary a few months ago where when they, when they ran the ballots through the machine, the, they got one result. And then the third place candidate complained and said, Hey, I didn't get any votes in my own precinct. This doesn't make sense. And I assume she voted for herself. And so, but the clerk was responsive to that and actually did a hand count. And when they did that, the third place person catapulted to first place. And had, had we been in a situation, and, and by the way, that race would not have qualified for a recount because the, the difference between the first, second, and third place was too big. So by a clerk being responsive like that, they actually ended up getting the correct result and making sure that the appropriate people went to the runoff. That's the type of clerk I want to be. Like when we hear these complaints, let's respond to them. Let's make sure that people are comfortable with everything we're doing and the results that come out because the voting system, the basis of everything that happens in our country is your right to vote. It's a fundamental right. And it is a right that belongs to the people. It's not the government's right. It's just their job to provide safe and secure elections. Okay. Yes. It's, it's not about them. It's about us and what we want. And so I, I love hearing that there are people out there that uh, government officials, county clerks, um, that are receptive and, and listening to the people. That's great. So I, I'm excited to have you as our clerk. My goodness, here in Salt Lake County. Do we have time for our last method? Yeah, I think we do. Okay. So the last, the final method of voting, which I consider to be the least safe of the four forms, is when you put it into the Postal Service. Now, the benefit of the Postal Service is you don't have to leave your house. <laughs> you know, I've heard people, they're concerned about the cameras on ballot drop boxes, cameras in, in government facilities that don't want to be filmed. Correct. If you're at your own home, I assume the only camera that'll film you is the one you have on your door or something, right? Uh, so those are positives. It's private. The, the negative is you're going to have a lot more people handling your ballot. And there is a, um, they do have a loss rate. And there is a chance that the Postal Service could lose your ballot. Plus, the county clerk does not completely control that chain of custody. So now we lose, we lose the chain of custody for some period of time 
until it gets back to your office. And as your clerk, I would want to make sure that if you submit your ballot, that I am doing everything I can to get it. And so I would prefer that you use one of the other three methods that we talked about, because in those other three cases, I can guarantee that your vote will get to my office and that we will make sure that it counts. When it comes to the postal service, there's more risk involved there. And I would prefer that you not use that because we have these other methods available. Yeah, that is some sound advice. And those that are listening now, you've heard the four different options that you have to cast your ballot. I do want to mention one thing. You can have a ballot. You can have received your mail-in ballot, but you don't have to vote with it if you don't want to. You can leave that home and show up and vote in person and show identification on election day if you wanted, or, or during early voting, whenever that early voting is happening. You can do that. That's what I did last time. I just voted in person, showed my ID, and and uh, went that route. And Scout, you're running for office. Tell our listeners how they can help your campaign with donations or signs or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd love. You can check out my website. It's Goud, G-O-U-D, the number four, clerk.com. Um, we would love to have your support. If you need a sign, let us know. If you want to help in other ways, let us know. And please spread the word in any way you can. Uh, we can win this race with all of your help. Well, Gal, thank you so much. Now, we have we have like another minute or so. Is there anything else you want to um, talk about that you really made part of your platform? Well, how about I'll just close by saying this. Uh, after 32 years of the same management, I think we have a real opportunity here to bring in fresh eyes, like you were saying, a compliance attorney and a veteran's perspective, and to take our clerk's office to the highest levels of transparency, accuracy, and getting voters more engaged in the process. And we will all work together because I will always have an open door to voters, and we will make our clerk's office the model for Utah and hopefully even for the nation. Those are my goals. Wow, Gout, I love that because the, the biggest thing we need to be looking at is really restoring voter confidence. And if you're being open and, again, providing reports that have normally or in the past been hidden away from the public, we've had to file grandma requests to get access to those reports. If those could just be given to us online that we can access them, that's going to restore so much confidence in our system and how we vote. Um, so, and we do, we need a model somewhere. I mean, there's other states that are working hard to clean up some of the messes that, that has happened in their particular um, election cycle. But Salt Lake County, definitely, um, with new leadership, we can be the, we can be the beacon and uh, the model for everyone else. So, Gal, thank you so much for jumping into the ring and bringing your experience and uh, expertise into this really, uh, it's a complicated, but it's a very nece necessary system that needs to be kept in check. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, well, listen, we are, we're wrapping up here. We are got another candidate that's up for election coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So stay with us on the Liberty Moms podcast.
to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball, I've been hosting today, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life. There's a lot of different options for you to be listening to right now. And I love that you are choosing the Liberty Moms podcast, and we're excited that we're part of the Liberty Loving Liberty Network. And it's a great place for you to do a lot of uh, listening to get the alternative message that's being forced out through the main media cycle. So thank you for being one of our listeners. And I'm excited we have another candidate that we're going to talk to today. And we have so many that have jumped into the ring that want to make a difference and uh, really feel like they've got some good new ideas. And uh, Melanie Monastir is joining me. She is one of our state school board candidates. And Melanie is, uh, oh my goodness, she's been, anytime I show up to anything, she has been out there on the campaign trail relentlessly, I have to tell you. So Melanie, thank you for being my guest today and and, uh, being willing to talk about your campaign. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me on the show. So Melanie, you let, let's just hear why you decided you felt like you needed to run for state school board. Sure. Uh, you know, during the earlier days of, of the COVID crisis, um, once things had opened up just a little, uh, there was a town hall and um, it was by some of our state legislators. And I, I went and um, our Senator John Johnson was there and he uh, is the head of our education committee. So I, I, I got a chance to ask a question and I asked, you know, Senator Johnson, uh, why, uh, why is it that there is such a big um, divergence between, um, you know, our school policies on the one hand and uh, the parents and families in our community on the other hand, and uh, who is making uh, those decisions for our school policies. And um, I, you know, he told me about the state school board and, um, and their relationship with the legislature. And I, I was fortunate that I got to uh, chat with him that day. And I um, later met some state school board members very shortly thereafter and uh, was able to start following the board and get, you know, get uh, really familiar with uh, the policy making, with the decision making, um, with how that process was being handled, um, you know, what the, the influences were on board decisions. And, you know, after watching that uh, for, for more than a year, um, you know, I was uh, ready to uh, to take this on because I, I learned that um, one of the most extreme members of our board is, is actually in my district, and I um, have the opportunity to uh, to run against that board member, and um, you know, really try to make a difference for Utah schools. Well, Melanie. Thank you so much for jumping in. And I have to say, I have to commend you because I don't know a very many people. And if I do, this might be one or two where they do their homework and start getting the the background, the knowledge, the understanding of the position and, and the policies and what's happening before they attempt to run. I usually I'm running across. We had we had a legislator up in the state capitol who had never been inside the state capitol until the morning she was sworn in to be a representative. Okay, and that was kind of scary because her votes really reflected that she didn't know 
a lot of the, the good grounding principles and policy making that needed to happen. And, uh, and so I love and admire that you would do that, that you would take that time, that's a year of attending meetings and following what the board is doing, because it's important to have that understanding so that when you're elected, you can just start working on day one and not have to be brought up to speed on what the board is working on. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got so many important issues um, this year, you know, for our schools, for our children. Um, the legislature has jumped in on a number of things, um, like, as you know, Chris, and, uh, you know, these issues are really um, impactful in the lives of our kids every day. Uh, you know, what we're, what we're doing in our schools is we are forming the next generation of, of our community, and we are also teaching values. Um, and, you know, what are the values that our children are being taught in school are so important because that is those are going to be the values of our community in the next generation. Right. And you mentioned your opponent. How long has she been serving on the board? Do you re, do you know how long she uh, started her time on the board in 2017? Uh, however, she previously was an employee and, and actually worked for the board. So she describes herself as a bureaucrat. And she, you know, decided to go from being an employee to um, being a board member. Okay, because I know I was up at school board meetings. She was there, but she wasn't as there as a board member because I thought she's been around that school board environment for a while, but she was there as an employee at that point in time. Okay, so um, yes, I think if a lot of the constituents in her area in this new, it's actually a new district, it's been redistricted, so it's kind of a new area, but if they were aware of some of the uh, extreme policies that she has been um, okay with and promoting, I think that would give them pause for sure. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, the state board meetings are, are kind of uh, challenging to follow. They're very long. They can go on, you know, the videotapes are posted online, but it can be eight or 10 hour a day uh, videotape, and then they do uh, they do Thursday and Friday back to back uh, the first of you know the first of every month. So it's it's very challenging for most people to really find the time to watch all of that. And you know if you do, you know what you start to see is you know members who are really pushing for the most extreme agendas um, in these policies, whether it's um, you know the um, you know, the books, the whole books issue that's been such a hot issue in our in our um, local media, um, you know, the uh, you know, the handling of transgender policy, um, you know, and just for, for every issue we you know, we've had a, a board member who has really pushed for a, you know, an agenda that looks like it's coming out of uh, California or New York City. Um, and this is someone who, you know, who is a Utah native who grew up in Utah, and that's my opponent. So I think that people, um, you know, really should be aware that, you know, that that, you know, those policies, you know, people would ask me all the time, you know, how is it that, you know, some of these policies have been put in, you know, and, you know, for example, with the, the books that, um, you know, the legislature passed a law that was very clear cut that, you know, we do, you know, we do, unfortunately, 
you know, the, the, the books being put in our school libraries today are not the same kind of books uh, that were being put in when I was a child. Uh, you know, we're not talking about Harriet the Spy and uh, Little House on the Prairie. Um, you know, the, the, we do unfortunately have some, some uh, obscene, some pornographic material, and this is real pornographic material um, that is in our school libraries already. And the legislature, you know, passed the rule on that because they pa actually passed the books around the chamber and read them. And I think that really opened everyone's eyes. And I, I encourage everyone, you know, if you have not seen this material, you know, it is not for children, but for adults only. Um, there is a, a great website that's been put together by parents called ratedbooks.org. And that book, that site, if you go on, has got, um, you know, got excerpts from all, it's got a list of the books. And also you can click and you can read and you can decide for yourself uh, what you think about this material. But the legislature did that. They actually read the books. Um, and so they understood what we're dealing with here. And this is not the kind of ordinary school books, uh, The Catcher in the Rye and, and you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and, and the, of, of the like that you would expect. Um, it is very different. So, um, you know, those books were directed to come out. And what, what we've seen is that uh, we had the board put, there were competing policies that the board discussed. And um, my opponent pushed for the weakest version of all those policies, meaning the one that was the least likely to cause books to be removed. And that is ultimately the one that was passed by the board and as a consequence, we, it, we have we are seeing in many of our libraries that the books are not being removed. And our legislature has already identified that this this is an issue because the books were supposed to have been addressed. That's the law of our state. And um, they're going to um, this Wednesday at the legislature address this, you know, bring raise this issue in committee again um, because of this ongoing issue. And again, my opponent was one who was pushing for the weakest policy that would keep the most books in our schools and really contrary to the intent of our legislature and I, and the people of our state, I think voicing their concerns through the legislature. You know, the media has really painted the parents to look like they're the extremists as far as trying to squelch um, free speech. And it couldn't be further from the truth because as you mentioned, your the books that you were talking about, the classics and, you know, they're talking about human dynamics and, and different, um, this is outright sexually explicit material. Cause I know I've seen some of the books and I ran across an individual who uh, was, it was during the primaries and he, when we talked about education, see so he immediately went to, oh, this whole idea that parents are controlling what's in the library. And I said, have you bothered to look at the books? And he said, no, and I go, okay, well, are you okay with a fourth grader learning how to perform sex? And he said, well, no, no, I'm not. And I said, well, that's what, that's one of the books. Okay. And so I said, you need to, before you make a decision, before you form an opinion, why don't you go access these books and see what is being given to these? Because if, if your child was outside and a stranger came up and showed them these kind of books, they could be arrested. That's right. That's right. They could be arrested because that's breaking a law, but because it's promoted in a school library, it's supposed to be okay. That's right. You know, it's, it's illegal to give, uh, you know, to give pornography to a child. And yet we have, we have pornography in our school libraries that children can very unintentionally 
um, you know, looking for a book to read, pick up and read and be exposed to, um, you know, and, and as a parent, I feel like, you know, we, we work really hard to um, let our children enjoy, you know, the innocence of childhood and childhood things. And we, we don't want them to be rushed into, um, you know, this kind of, of um, explicit, obscene material. Uh, it's, it, you know, I believe it is a parental choice um, to protect the innocence of our children. And it's not the role of the school to, um, to provide those kind of materials to a child. Well, Melanie, as I look at your information and with our discussion, I know you're looking to be a big advocate for the children and to protect them. And, uh, but it looks like you really are um, advocating a lot for teachers as far as um, making sure that they get um, a good teacher's pay and, and to even foster a parent-teacher relationship. That's right. You know, we, we really, um, you know, want to encourage our teachers. We want to support them. When we look at our, you know, our test scores for students in Utah, they, uh, we have below half uh, at grade level proficiency in math, reading, and science. And if we look at our minority students, um, our, our Hispanic and our uh, Black students, it's less than one-fourth at grade level. So that means three out of four students are not reaching grade level proficiency. And you know, if we want to improve our the education our kids are receiving, I think we've really got to support our teachers, and that's going to you know that is a, a key part of improving our schools. Well, those are two key components: the children and the teacher, for sure, and of course the parents. I mean, the parents have to be welcomed. In fact, I think we in our state constitution, parents really have the primary responsibility of educating providing the education for their child, and the state is basically there to So um, I know a lot of parents have felt like they have been um, ignored and maligned, and, uh, and a lot of it, I guess, is just because of what they've seen happen in the classroom. When their kids come home and talk about uh, some of the books that they've seen or some of the questions that are on their tests, that sort of thing, they get, they get alarmed. And so, um, I think being an advocate for parents is important too, right? Definitely. You know, during COVID, we saw, um, you know, a lot of parents started to become aware of some of the materials our kids were being taught. And, um, you know, I think what has happened is, you know, there's been a loss of trust between parents and our schools. And, you know, I think it's it's so important that we we restore that confidence that when we drop our kids off at school, you know, we're confident in what they're going to be uh, give, what they're going to be taught, what they're what they'll be exposed to, and that we trust our school and we we have confidence in our teachers. And you know, it's so important that we we keep our school a neutral place where children are there to learn reading, math, and science, and computers. You know, to participate in extracurricular activities, sports, and music, and art, and you know, be with friends and socialize. And, you know, that we keep our schools a wholesome place that is, um, you know, that's free of, of, of politics, aside from when we are teaching children about politics and civics, and that's, that's very important. But, you know, really that parents can have that confidence in our schools again. And I think, you know, we, we, had, you know, we had parents really realize that we do have some issues and, you know, our schools can rebuild those relationships, I feel. And, you know, we've gotten... Um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're building that and we can continue to, 
make sure that our parents feel heard. Um, and we need leadership that, you know, that is willing, that listens to parents and that it listens to our teachers, honestly, because we tend to, uh, in education, uh, have a lot of trends and pile on new policies. Oh, here's a new program. Here's a new policy year after year. And, um, what happens is, you know, we never, it seems as though things get so overburdened on our teachers and we don't really take a step back. And that's what I'd like to do. You know, let's see how we can start getting better results. Um, we have had an improvement um, in the new numbers since COVID, um, but I think we, we definitely can improve a lot more. Um, and we can take a step back and look at the burdens we're putting on our teachers, you know, look at the programs that we're using and whether things are working or not working. And, and really take a fresh look. You know, I am not um, tied to um, any program or policy that has been put in place. I think I'm willing to, to represent our families, our children, our teachers, and really look honestly at what we're doing in our schools. So Melanie, we've got lots of listeners across the state and nation, and no matter where you live, school board is a super important election um, to be following. So tell our listeners, what part of the state of Utah do you represent? So I represent Holiday, Mill Creek, uh, Mount Olympus, Sugar House, uh, U of Utah, Avenues, Emigration Canyon, Park City, and Solitude and Brighton. Uh, it's a big district. It's more than double the size of a Senate district. Um, and it's, you know, the, but the, the important thing to remember about our state board is it, the policy making and the decision making, um, the state board sets the budget for our schools. These um, apply to the entire state. So um, as a state board member, I will be making, you know, I will represent you, um, even if you're not inside my district, um, my decisions will impact you, go, directly go to your schools. And I will be representing, you know, families in our on the state board. Well, on that note, I want to uh, suggest to any of our listeners, if you have the ability to please donate some type of donation to Melanie, no matter what the amount, every little bit helps because as she said, at being a state board member, it doesn't matter that she's in, lives in your particular school board district, her voting will affect everyone around the state. And so we need uh, representatives like Melanie on state school board who really understand that the board is there to um, work with the teachers, the parents, and the children. And, and that's the most important component of this whole process. And uh, uh, I think that's gotten lost. I know um, with all the new testing and, and uh, the, the Common Core, there's a lot of special interest groups that are really tied into what's happening in education. And I think sometimes uh, the children are more looked at more as a commodity than the fact that they're individuals that are there to learn. As you mentioned before, let's just get back to the basics of what education is, right? So tell our listeners where they can go to uh, learn more about you and make a donation if they want to. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Um, my website is melanieforutah.com, and that's Melanie, F-O-R, the word, uh, not the number. And um, I have a Facebook page. It's um, also Melanie for Utah um, on Facebook. 
And, uh, you know, if you know someone, if you don't live in my district, you, you probably know someone, uh, friends or family that, who does. And I would, you know, just ask everyone to please uh, like and follow me on Facebook. Um, but most of all, tell your friends and family about this race and how important it is. We have an opportunity this year to change the direction of our schools. And it's a great opportunity. And we just need... Um, we just need people to get their ballots turned in and to, you know, to vote for um, for change and for fresh policies. So this is a very important year for our school boards. Um, please uh, take a look at your, all of your school board races and uh, tell your friends and family about my race. Thank you. Yeah, Melanie, I'm glad you put a plug in for the other races. So with the school board election, there's 15 members statewide. And there were seven or eight seats that were uh, running this year. I can't remember if it was seven or eight because it's eight one year, seven the other. And, uh, and so uh, it's important that we really take advantage of this and support these good school board members because it, as Melanie said, we've got a couple of um, people now on the board and we've got some that have gone through their primaries and they will end up. Uh, on the board, but there's uh, two or three seats left um, that have really important races that we need to get finished out. And with you being along the Wasatch Front, most likely people have a relative there of some sort that they can, or friends that live in that area. So Melanie, um, we have just a, a couple of minutes left. I wanted to ask you uh, what your, um, where you are on uh, we have a policy in Utah where parents are asked to opt out versus opt in. And a lot of times parents get busy and, and they, or they don't even get the note or they don't even get the information. And there might be something that they don't want their child exposed to. Would you be in favor of, of changing that where we had more of an opt in to things for parents where they had to, you know, really have more of informed consent, you know, and then, um, sign into whatever is going on, whether it's a survey or testing or that sort of thing? I definitely would be in favor of, of an opt-in rather than an opt-out uh, because I think, you know, we want to put parents in the driver's seat. We want our parents, uh, they are the, you know, they have the primary responsibility for their children's education under our state code. And we want to put our parents um, you know, in that role and, and for them to be informed about what's going on in our schools. So we definitely um, want to give parents an opt in. And, you know, I think that the board recently, they did a great, um, made a great decision. Um, there's been a controversial survey called the SHARP survey that's been given to kids. And the board recently decided to withdraw support for that survey um, that has a number of, of problems. And this is a a health survey, uh, but for example, it asked more than 30 questions just about tobacco use alone, uh, question after question about drugs and alcohol, um, and not only questions about the student, uh, but also about you know family members, relatives, um, use of substances, and opinions um, about things. And you know it, it, it felt quite invasive, and I think it excessively long to a lot of parents. You know this was being given to a sixth grader a 45 minute survey uh, with question after question about these issues. So, um, you know, that was a positive step, I think, because parents have been complaining about the SHARP survey for years. And this is a great example of listening to parents. 
and being wow. responsive. Thank you for letting me know about that because I actually went online and made a comment about the Sharp Survey because I've been aware of it for a while. And I'm that's great news to hear that they've decided not to support that. So that's wonderful, wonderful news. So Melanie, thank you for being diligent and uh, stepping up to the plate and wanting to run for office and make a change and take a turn. I, I feel like these are opportunities where we can take a turn and serve our community. Thank you so much for doing that. And again, tell our listeners your website. It's MelanieForUtah.com. Okay, MelanieForUtah.com. Visit her site, send a, a donation, and share her name with your family and friends. And this wraps it up for our Liberty Moms podcast. We will be back next week and uh, go out and have a fabulous day. Thanks, Chris.